I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From Classical WETA in Washington, we take you behind the music. In this episode, I'm joined by Nigel Boone, Director of Artistic Planning of the National Symphony Orchestra. There is a good chance you've never even heard of such a position before, but it's one that affects nearly everything we enjoy about orchestras today. Nigel joins me to peel the curtain back and show the complicated process in creating an orchestra's season of concerts. He describes the process in detail, working with grand maestros, young conductors making their debut, composers, soloists, and more. He tells a few stories, too, or rather nightmare scenarios in which he's had to act quick to save a performance. And he shares one thing that happens at every concert that makes it all worthwhile. Thank you so much for joining me, Nigel. We're excited to learn all about how an orchestra creates and schedules a season, so many moving parts. But first, to bring us up to speed, how would you describe your position, Director of Artistic Planning, in a few sentences to someone who was totally unfamiliar? Well, first of all, John, thank you very much for inviting me on. How would I describe my position? I'm a juggler. I have to keep many, many plates in the air at any one time. And I have to uh, balance several seasons at one time. You're never just planning one season. You're planning three or four seasons out. You're always tweaking your current season. You're working very hard to finalize the next season because there's always a season announcement deadline bearing down on you. You've always started the following two seasons and they are at various stages of preparation. What do I actually do as the director of artistic planning? I work with the music director, whoever is our music director at the time. And I've been very lucky to work with three music directors and a principal conductor here at the National Symphony. Chronologically, Leonard Slatkin, Ivan Fischer, who was our caretaker interim principal conductor for two years, Christoph Eschenbach, and now Jan-Andrea Lozada. And my job is to assist them in creating the orchestra's programs uh, the whole season, across the whole season, and to interpret their desires about the artistic direction that they would like to take the orchestra in. So one of the first words you used, juggling, sounds uh, quite appropriate in this case. All the different seasons, um, working with music directors and so on. Is this position unique to the NSO, or is there someone like you with most of the orchestras? Every orchestra has a me. Every orchestra has somebody like me. The bigger orchestras have me in my in, in this position running an artistic department. Smaller orchestras, much smaller orchestras will have somebody like me perhaps also doing operations and practical issues with the orchestra. And perhaps even smaller orchestras will have their music director doing all the artistic planning without somebody in place to help them. Okay, so let's create a new season, our own kind of season. But first, we should probably mention what a season is for an orchestra because we're not talking about seasons that last a few months like winter or spring, are we? That's right. That's absolutely right. A season for us is basically a year. And we start our season typically around Labor Day. And we finish our season with vacation that leads up to the following Labor Day. So it's from September through to the end of August. Okay, so I think we're ready to get started to create our own NSO season. 
Is there a particular time of the year that you start the process and how far in advance is the season that you're going to be planning, like when you're looking at a new season from scratch? Is there a particular time of year? There probably is, although I, uh, yes, there probably is. I'm now about to confirm Jan Andrea Nozeda, our music director's dates, availabilities for the season September 24 through to August 25. And I'm still tweaking this current season, 21-22, and we're just about to finish with season 22-23. So, yes, I'm working on the current 22-23, and 24-25. So working on three advanced seasons and the current season. So where do we start? What is one of the first things you need to do to start putting a season together? The very first thing I need to do is look at all our fixed points. We have a number of fixed points across the season. We know, for example, when we take vacation, the orchestra takes vacation. There's always four weeks leading up to Labor Day. There's always three weeks, Christmas, New Year, and the very first week of January. And there's one floating week sometime in the spring. So those are the eight weeks vacation that the orchestra has. It's a 52-week orchestra, so they work for 44 weeks giving concerts, and uh, there are eight weeks vacation. So we know where those eight weeks vacation fall within the season. We are congressionally mandated to do three capital concerts on the National Mall each year, Memorial Day, July 4th, and Labor Day. They fall on the same days every year, of course. We go to Wolf Trap in the summer between July 4th and the beginning of our vacation early in August. We're there every summer, so that's a fixed point. Uh, What other fixed points are there? We know that the week before the Christmas vacation is always our Messiah week. The week before our Messiah week is always our Holiday Pops week. Thanksgiving week is always our Thanksgiving Pops week, and so on and so forth. There's a whole list of these immovable objects across a whole season, and that forms the skeleton onto which I then put the flesh. And the first flesh I put on is always our music director's availability. We always hope he will do our, or she, he will do our opening night, generally the last Saturday in September, and the first or second um, subscription week of the season, and maybe the last one or two subscription weeks of the season. It's nice if your music director can open and close your season. It's not always a given. It's not always possible. Many, many conductors have multiple jobs. Jan Andrea himself has a very important job as new job as general music director of Zurich Opera in Switzerland. And when he's doing a new production there, that, of course, takes a big chunk out of his calendar, and that can fall anywhere within the season. Okay, so let's let's pause for a second. We've got our skeleton, these set weeks of things like vacation, and also things that are just kind of tradition, the uh, Messiah week, the holiday pops weeks, and so on. And then you add on the other things like the obligations for concerts on the lawn. So we've got the skeleton. You start to get... Um, right now, Maestro Nozeda's schedule and that first and, and last um, subscription series. Can Real quick, what, what exactly, what do you mean by subscription series? Ah, yes. Uh, we do 
about 21 or 22 weeks of classical subscription concerts, what we call classical subscription concerts every season. Those are normally one program repeated two or three times in the week, conducted by the same conductor with the same soloist, with the same program. So, for example, this season, immediately the week following our opening night, we had Hilary Hahn, famous violinist, wonderful violinist, as our soloist with Jan Andrea conducting. She played Brahms's violin concerto. Uh, in the second half, he then conducted Florence Price's Third Symphony. And we did that three times, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And that's generally our classical subscription pattern across the season. And we have 21 or 22 of those weeks. This stems from listeners who can subscribe and get a ticket to a concert for each series, right? That's right, yes. So now you're working with Nozeta's schedule. The skeleton is getting a little more meat on its bones. But it sounds like there's still a lot of holes to fill in with guest conductors and soloists. But before you answer that, tell us roughly how many concerts the NSO gives in a season because it's a lot more than I think most people realize. I would say the orchestra plays anything between 150 to 175 concerts every season. What I do immediately after getting Gian Andrea Nozeda's weeks for any given season is everything else almost simultaneously. And this is where keeping multiple plates in the air, juggling multiple plates comes into play. I then start inviting guest conductors for the classical subscription weeks. My colleague Justin Ellis, who is our director of POPs programming, he We'll then be talking to Stephen Reinecke, our principal pops conductor, to find out his availabilities. In fact, he's probably done that already and has been following the uh, sketch of the season and working out where Stephen might be able to slot in. And then it's a matter of just making sure, actually, you're shaping all the jigsaw pieces. The pieces aren't preformed. You're actually cutting them with your own jigsaw, ready to fit into the puzzle as you create the season as you go along. I then start inviting guest conductors. If Jan Andrea does maybe 12 weeks with us a year, that leaves 9, 10, 11 weeks to invite guest conductors, classical guest conductors for the classical season. Justin will have anywhere between six to eight weeks of POPs programming, and that includes subscription concerts, but also special one-off programs. And for all of these things, are you... I think you mentioned a moment ago something about planning at the same time also fitting in the music because the music isn't necessarily chosen at this stage, is it? Or it's very flexible. It's not that Nozeta says, these are the concerts I'm doing. This is exactly the rep is what that I'm doing, period. Not every conductor is doing that. It sounds like there's a bit more involved in, in choosing the music. That's right. Um, there's a scale of the way music directors handle their season. Some music directors at one extreme end of the scale, there might be one or two who will come in with a sheaf of papers and present them to you and say, so those are my programs. Those are the guest artists I'd like you to engage. And that's what I'd like them to play. That's a very extreme view, of course. And at the other extreme end, you have the possibility of a music director who comes in and sits down in front of you and says, so what shall we do? The truth, of course, lies anywhere in the middle. Jan Andrea is one of these brilliant programmers who can put together the most extraordinary programs on the most extraordinary themes, and he will have his ideas as to what he would like to do each season. I'm very fortunate in working with him 
because he wants to have ideas back, of course, as to what he might do. And we frequently find out that the best idea is the third one that comes out of the conversation discussing the first two. It's a collaboration process. I'm sure back in the day, it might have been more the conductor authoritarian saying this is exactly what we're doing. But it's better now, I think, that there is this collaboration because there is, well, when you have more input on ideas to a limit, of course, you can get a better outcome in terms of, well, if say a conductor is super focused on I'm doing exactly these things, they may miss a bigger picture, certain anniversaries or new music or trends, or maybe something is happening in your city that could correlate well with a concert series. And you're able to say, this sounds great here, but you know, if we change this piece to this or move this to another week, it might make this whole thing more cohesive. That's exactly how it works. And here, for example, at the Kennedy Center, my colleagues across the center will have ideas for their programming. And we all get together regularly and discuss what they're doing and what we're doing. And wherever we can, we join the dots. So, for example, our colleagues in international programming have done multiple international festivals and thematic festivals. And we've performed anywhere up to three weeks inside those festivals with appropriate programming. And what about the guest conductors? Are they coming in saying, I have this rep to play? Or do they say, you know, what do you want me to play or conduct? How does that work? For a grand maestro like Kurt Mazur or Lauren Mazel, both of whom used to come to us, or Herbert Bromstedt, who has been fairly recently with us, and a number of others who we don't even need to name, but, but who, who come to us, I will certainly say to them, what would you like to do? And if it's at all possible, if if I know Jan Andrea isn't conducting that work that season, or if we haven't done any of the works they'd like to do in recent seasons, then I'm very, very happy always to accommodate them. For a younger conductor making their debut, I will have, if all has gone well, I will have done my research, of course, and will have found out from small network of people whose opinions I trust. If I haven't been able to hear and see this conductor in question, I will have been able to find out how they are, how they rehearse, what their repertoire specialities are. And then I might put forward a suggestion to them. In fact, I probably would put forward a suggestion to them and say, well, I would think it would be very good if you would think about perhaps putting this on your program. One of my other jobs is, of course, to keep my ear to the ground as far as new music is concerned and to make suggestions to Jan Andrea for commissions that we might like to take part in. I used to work for a music publisher and I have been very lucky to have been connected with a number of really interesting contemporary composers and composer conductors as well. And it's always interesting to to discover new music, to discover new artists, and to suggest them for our season. So I think the skeleton is coming together, the outline of the schedule, Maestro Nozeda's schedule, what he would like to do, that conversation, and the, the big picture for the season in regards to the repertoire, the guest conductors, the, the big maestros that may have a program they want to do, as long as it's not conflicting, the newer ones who are more malleable. And then we've got also new music being considered, those commissions. Now, what about soloists? Are they picking the rep or are you telling them rep or is it, again, something in between? Uh, Something in between, probably. What you do is when you're inviting your guest conductors around that point of the whole process, 
you're also inviting guest soloists, both for Jan Andrea's programs and for the guest conductor's programs. And again, what you do is you ask the soloists which concertos, which repertoire they will be offering that season, that particular season. Almost no soloist will carry around in their pocket every single concerto that they've learned and have played. They'll be limiting their repertoire to anywhere between, well, depending who the soloist is, anywhere between three and 15 concertos each season. And then it's just a matter of negotiation and navigation and conversation, just trying to work out what's going to fit best for the soloist with the conductor in the programme. And that's where this multidimensional matrix is. Now, where would you say you are, I guess, time-wise in this process of of what we've been discussing so far? We've got the skeleton, um, the conductors, the music the soloists, what they're going to play. How far along are we now? Is this like six months of work, eight months of work? How is that working? I wish, (laughs) I kind of wish it was as structured as that. Um, I'm just about finished with 22-23. We will have a season announcement in the early part of next year for the 22-23 season. So I will need to be finished by then. Even in the 21-22 season, we are still having to change one or two uh, programs that we had already published. For 23-24, I am about to start looking at soloists. I've already been looking at guest conductors, and there will still be a few more slots to fill with guest conductors, but I'm well on the way there, and I'm about to start looking at soloists. I've already asked for uh, the availability of a couple of really big-name soloists in whose calendar we'll need to get in quite early. If I start now for 23-24 with soloists, then I have about nine, ten months to put that season together and then, you know, the wheel turns and you start it all again for 24, 25. And we'll get into what happens next and maybe some of the complexities that happen mid-season right after this. Classical Breakdown is made possible by Classical WETA. Join us for the music anytime, day or night. To listen live, just go to our website, classicalweta.org, or download our app. It's free in the App Store. Something you mentioned a moment ago, I think, goes to show the complexity of this. As you said before, you're dealing with not one or two, but three, even four seasons at a time, um, looking at the big picture. And you mentioned there's still some changes that are, are happening in 21 and 2022. What kind of changes are those that you expect to have to deal with on top of doing the whole scheduling and everything um, like that so far? What kind of changes kind of pop up? Well, I think particularly with new music, if you have a commission on the go and you're waiting for the final score and music materials, there's every possibility that a composer may be delayed and might not be able to deliver you the piece in time. So you always have to be prepared for something like that. Of course, because COVID, there's all kinds of issues there that might lead to things that you need to change. We've had cancellations through illness before. I think you just have to be prepared always for for any change that might appear, any possibility of change that might appear. It's set in stone, but again, it's not quite. 
<laughs> it's not set in stone until the downbeat, I think, sometimes. Yes, it's never over until it's actually over, until the concert has taken place. Yes. But things do happen. Life happens. Um, someone gets sick, breaks an arm or, or something like that. When that happens the week of, what does that mean for you? Because you've got an expected soloist with their concerto. Do you find someone that can do the same one? Or is it anyone nearby that can do a concerto? What happens when someone has to get out at the last second because of something like an injury? Well, it can be any of three things, at least three things. It can be you have to change the piece because the new work isn't being delivered on time. You have to change the conductor and then maybe the program because the conductor is unavailable suddenly. Or the soloist, you have to change the concerto because the solo isn't, isn't available. Of course, we've had all of those happen. Um, <laughs> I remember well over 10 years ago now, we were on tour. Oh, it was with Ivan Fisher. So it was 2009. We were on tour in... At that time, we'd been in China and then we were in South Korea and it was Friday night in in Korea, in Seoul. And we were flying back on Saturday. We would have a couple of days off and then come in to, to the hall, to the Kennedy Center to start rehearsing on Tuesday for that week's program. And on Friday night, I heard that the conductor had to pull out for illness. Now, if I'm in D.C., that's OK, because I'm on the same time zone as everybody in New York, all the big agents in New York, and I can just pick up the phone and, you know, have a number of conversations to try to find out who might be available and who would be able to replace. At night in Korea, uh, basically, I stayed up all night and I was on my computer all night trying to find uh, somebody to step in at such short notice because everybody's busy. You know, people have very busy careers and very full calendars. In the end... I found somebody almost half an hour, I think, before I was due to board the plane home. And then as we got off the plane, I was able to pick up a, a message on my phone and then confirm. But we had to change the program. I'm trying to remember now from the soloist's point of view or... Uh, no, actually, I think we changed the big piece in the second half of the program so that the the incoming conductor uh, did a piece that he was very, very familiar with and could immediately learn, you know, or or just revise very quickly in the couple of days before before the rehearsal started. And did your doctor talk to you about your blood pressure ever? Or how, <laughs> I mean, that that sounds tremendous. I mean, Korea, yeah, you're twelve hours off. and oh, that then was, that that was an easy one. Oh, the, <laughs> we've just finished our messiahs. Uh, just last week with Jan Andrea conducting, he did part one of Messiah and the Bach Magnificat. But I have a Messiah story that really sent my blood pressure through the roof. Again, several, several years ago, we were rehearsing Messiah and we do two rehearsals on Tuesday, two rehearsals on Wednesday and performances Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So on Wednesday night, after the basically the last rehearsal, the bass singer came off stage and said to us, you know, my throat, I'm really not feeling well. I'm really sorry. I know my voice and I know I'm not going to be able to do this. Oh, my gosh. So that was at 10 on Wednesday night, just before a Thursday first performance at 7. So... Of course, I hopped onto my laptop and was uh, emailing. I was calling various uh, agents and managers. 
got really, really lucky and at about half past midnight, I think, confirmed a bass who had just performed Messiah the week before, was on a train on his way home to New York, I think, could get off the train in Washington and come in on Thursday and go straight into singing Messiahs. Wow. But that was only part one of it because on Thursday morning... At about 9.30, we had a call from the, uh, it was a countertenor. And he basically picked up the phone and said to me, I'm terribly sorry. I, I've lost my voice. Oh, no. And you feel dreadfully sorry for these people who carry their instrument with them all the time. You know, you can't just put your instrument in a cupboard. You have your instrument with you all the time and it must affect you dreadfully. And he, he, had just lost his voice. It was as simple as that. And that was 9.30. By, I called the conductor again uh, for the second time in two days and said, um, you're not going to believe this, but we've just lost uh, our second singer for tonight. And he pointed me in the direction of somebody he'd worked with the previous year in a Messiah in a different city here in the States. Um, and... And he only pointed me towards him because he'd worked with him. There are, there's a number of countertenors one could uh, uh, have tried to find out about their availability. Uh, all, of course, the countertenors have, have a really good time around Christmas because there's a lot of work. And I called up this singer that the conductor suggested to me at home in the Midwest and said, are you busy this week? And... He said, well, funnily enough, no, I'm actually not. And I normally would be, but I'm not. And I said, well, that's great. Would you be willing to think about hopping on a plane and coming here for this evening for four performances of Messiah in the next four days with and name the conductor that he had already worked with the previous year? And he said, yes, just give me 20 minutes. I think it looks good. Give me 20 minutes. I'll just talk to my family and just make sure I can do this. So I called him back 20 minutes later, and it was by then, I don't know, 11.30 or 11. And he said, yes, happy to do it. And I said, that's great. You've got a plane ticket. It's at the airport waiting for you for a flight at 12.30. We'll see you later this afternoon. And he came in. He arrived on time. He spent an hour with the conductor just to check, and a piano, just to check Tempe and everything, walked out on stage, and we had some of the most successful messiahs we've ever done. And the audience, unless they're looking at the name changes or something like that, or they know the singer. Hadn't got a clue. Hadn't no. got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I think there were two lines in the program. We are very grateful to, and name the two singers for stepping in at short notice uh, to replace the other two singers who were indisposed. I think that story, I mean, that just kind of fits the whole thing home of you're doing that on top of managing the current season, what's happening in the, in the couple weeks ahead in addition to planning out the following season and looking at the next season after that. I always hope, you know, it's a gratifying, oh, yes, we start on May 1st, and then by September 1st, it's all set. We close the book, you know, we, we pop a champagne, and then we have the season. <laughs> I wish. I wish. No, it's all part of life's rich tapestry. And this is on top of other things that the NSO does, like having musicians performing in schools, uh, the Sound Health Wellness Program, instrument petting zoos. There's so much. Absolutely. We haven't touched on any of that. Yes, absolutely. The, the orchestra does so much more than our uh, concerts in the Kennedy Center Concert Hall. Yes. I have a listener question. Uh, Sandra, also a colleague who listens to the podcast, she asked, 
Do you talk with other area orchestras to see what they are planning for a season so they don't conflict with each other? Yes, I speak to my colleagues in Baltimore because, of course, Baltimore comes and plays at Strathmore. So we want to be certain that we don't have the same soloist uh, in a season, if at all possible. We want to be careful that we don't play exactly the same works all the time. I mean, all orchestras, there's no doubt there will be a little bit of duplication. But we can, through a little bit of conversation, we can certainly avoid uh, major clashes. What has been the most rewarding thing about your role as Director of Artistic Planning with the NSO? The most rewarding thing, I have to say, is uh, the applause at the end of a concert. When you hear that the audience has really enjoyed what they've come to hear, what they've paid money to buy a ticket for, to come to hear, and have really enjoyed it, that makes absolutely everything worthwhile. It's, it's, it's the it, you know, it, it, it's the best. It's the best reward they could possibly be when you know that you're planning together with the music director has created something that somebody has wanted to come to hear and has enjoyed hearing. That's that's the best reward. It never gets old. It no, it truly never gets old. And I've been here for fifteen years, and it never gets old. I had exactly the same response last week after Jan Andreas Bach and Handel as I had in the very first week I was here with um, Ivan Fischer conducting Mendelssohn. How do you see this role evolving over the next five or ten years? Do you think that this there might be changes in the future that affect how you do this particular role? I don't think in terms of actual method, in terms of content, certainly. I think societal change in the last few years has made us very aware of areas of programming that have been neglected, unjustly neglected. And there are now amazing resources coming online to find out about neglected composers and diverse composers whose music has not, whose music basically has not been given the opportunity for posterity to decide whether it bears repetition. And it's been wonderful to work with somebody like Jan Andrea Nazeda, who loves discovering pieces he doesn't know, works he has never heard, never performed, especially in our concerts that we did in March and April of 2021 this year, when we weren't able to have audiences in the Kennedy Center, where we came on stage masked and socially distanced with a very small chamber orchestra, we did all kinds of pieces that we would not usually do with a full orchestra of 90 to 100 players. And that alone was interesting in terms of finding new repertoire. But then adding on top of that, composers whose music we hadn't performed enough of in recent years or at all was really great fun. It was wonderful to discover and to present to Jan Andrea and just have him say, yes, I'd be delighted to conduct that. That's wonderful. What a great piece. Well, that's great to hear. And there's going to be changes like this that the NSO is tackling. And it's just amazing to hear all of the stuff that goes into creating a season. So just to recap, in case we've, we've missed anything, we've got the, the skeleton, the overall kind of framework of the schedule. You know when you have vacation, when there's going to be a Messiah concert week or a holiday pops. 
conductor schedules. Maestro Nozeda, music director, and then filling it out with guest conductors, the soloist getting all the rep. And after all of that, you then have to execute the season while at the same time doing all of the work you mentioned to make future seasons possible and dealing with any last minute things that pop up in the current one. Well, thank you so much, Nigel Boone, for talking with us about this incredibly complicated process of creating a season, what goes into it, and some of the challenges that you have had to face. Well, thanks very much, John. It's been a pleasure talking with you about it. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? What goes into just making an orchestra season happen? I think we can all appreciate live orchestra performances even more after this. Thank you so much for listening to Classical Breakdown. For episode ideas and comments, just send me an email at classicalbreakdown at weta.org. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review in your podcast app and share it with someone you know who loves classical music. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from Classical WETA. ¶¶